I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's up, everyone? Episode number 114. It is also December 16th, Monday, 2019. And it is the last week of school here at Berkeley. It's finals week. Got tests and such. And we've got... Uh, combined with the regular season of college football ending, a little bit of a shorter show today, but never fear, the long takes is still here. I spent about 10 seconds coming up with that line. Anyway, we're going to talk football today as always, uh, and then a little bit of baseball at the end. And I'm excited. So, here we go. I teased it last week, but of course, uh, we're going to preview the college football playoff uh, a little bit. And one thing I will say uh, is it's hard to predict these games uh, in large part because of how large the time difference is between them. Normally you forecast games maybe a week in advance or so, um, but in this case the teams have about a month uh, before they have to play again, or three or four weeks, and as a result there's... You don't. Re- it's it's hard to understand uh, to know what you're going to get because guys are going to recover physically, um, and there might be a little more wear and tear. But it's it's hard to tell exactly how they're going to come out. But what you can talk about are larger trends, um, and so we're we are going to attempt to do that. And the first game is LSU at Oklahoma, number one. Uh, versus number four. First off, there was really no nothing wrong with what the committee did. Uh, they they really had no options here. I mean, this was the right choice. The Oklahoma Sooners, led by transfer Jalen Hurts from Alabama, who's had a great season, and the Sooners finished twelve and one, champions of the Big Twelve for the fifth year in a row. And they meet the absolute juggernaut that has emerged out of the SEC, the 13-0 Louisiana State University Tigers, led by Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow. That was, once again, the Heisman uh, committee had an easy choice. Uh, there was, he was the runaway uh, Heisman favorite, um, and rightfully so, with having such a, an historic year. And I actually think... Now, this might, I might have to bite my tongue a lot on this. But I have a sense that this might be a, a defensive battle. Now, I say defensive battle in a relative sense, not like your NFL, you know, 13-7 game. But maybe like, maybe 60 total points, something like that. You know, we, we could totally see a 30-25 to 25 game. Something like we saw with Oklahoma Baylor in the Big 12 championship game. I mean, first of all, both of these defenses are coming off great performances. You're talking about Oklahoma holding Baylor to just 23 points in the extra period plus regulation, and LSU holding a then-number-four Georgia team to just 10 points. And I think seven of those were in garbage time. And... You, you can say that the offenses will have time to scheme against these defenses and figure it out, but you can say the same thing as well. You can find the offensive tendencies um, and 
in in a an environment like that, I think defenses are kind of are set up to have good days, and I I think um, we definitely may see that to some extent. Now that being said, this game will be decided on offense at the end of the day, regardless of how the defenses play throughout. Both of these teams uh, have explosive weapons. On the Oklahoma side, you're talking about Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb, uh, Kenny Brooks. And on the LSU side, you've got, of course, Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Elair, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. All electric players when they can get to the edge. And I think this is going to be a defensive battle, but with big plays. Um, With both of these teams. If you make a mistake, they're going to burn you. And it's college, you know. A couple of mistakes will definitely be made. And we're going to see some deep throws, uh, especially early on. And I think this is going to settle down into a a defensive matchup. But um, big plays uh, are going to be what are going to make the difference for uh, for this game. And the second game, I think the more intriguing one almost, Ohio State and Clemson. Ohio State, the number two seed coming out of the Big Ten as champions. And Clemson coming off of a drubbing of Virginia to win the ACC. This is the first major test, really, Clemson's faced all year. Um, And it'll be... Interesting, I think, and this is also a rematch of 2016 uh, in the CFP. Clemson beat Ohio State 31-0, and so they'll be looking to avenge that. But I think what's interesting is how Ohio State will start because they started out slow against Wisconsin, of course, um, falling down big um, and having to make a comeback in the second half, falling down 17 And if Ohio State starts that way again, Clemson's going to score 31 points on them instead of 17 like Wisconsin did, and the game will be all but over. So I think Ohio State, it's crucial for them in this one to get out to a good start um, on both sides of the ball because Clemson can burn you early uh, as well. In the Virginia game, they got out to a really hot start, um, on offense at least. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that again. And this could quickly get out of hand. Um, So I think we'll know by about the middle of the second quarter uh, if this will be an entertaining game or not. Because by that point, it'll have settled down. And we'll get a better sense of how these teams' game plans are working against each other. Now for Clemson, it's their first big game of the year. Uh, The only other one was maybe Texas A&M. But uh, that didn't end up really proving to be that much of a quality win in the first place. Now, there could be an argument made for how will Clemson respond or deal with some kind of adversity, but I think this is less of an issue with the Tigers than maybe with any other team except for Alabama, because Dabo has so much experience uh, in recent years playing in these situations and coming out strong. I mean, last year they played an undefeated Notre Dame team and beat them 30-3, so... OSU is going to, or Clemson is going to be up to the task. I have no doubt about that. 
Um, and we will definitely see an exciting matchup in this one. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is going to have a tough time against that Clemson D. Uh, I think I could totally see him putting up 150, 200 yards, but I could also see him uh, only putting up 75. I mean, it's it's a flip of the coin with how the offensive line plays um, and how uh, the schemes butt up against each other. Now, as far as my predictions for these games, I'm LSU is the heavy favorite they deserve to be. Uh, it's 13 points right now, um, and I think LSU takes this one, mostly because Joe Burrow uh, is just clicking at a level that is insane right now, um, and I don't see LSU putting up any less uh, than 31, 35 points on Oklahoma. Uh, with Ohio State, oh yeah, and I'll take them uh, 35-24. And then Ohio State and Clemson, this is definitely going to be the closer matchup, at least on paper. Um, but I think Clemson's not going to have trouble with Ohio State. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence has showed his experience last year, showed that he can step up in the big moments. Um, and I think Chase Young will make a difference, um, but not enough. I give Clemson this one 42-27. So those are my predictions uh, for the playoff, and oh, and I'll 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 pick the championship later. I'll pick it uh, after these semifinals. But if I had to do it now, I'd take LSU. Anyway, those are my predictions uh, for the college football playoff. The NFL Week 15 saw the 49ers get their first bad loss of the year, 29-22 to the Atlanta Falcons at home. Now, I've said it before, but I'll redefine it. A trap game is a game in which your team is coming off of a big win, you're filled with energy, and you're playing a, inferior, a clearly inferior opponent on paper. And it's called a trap game because you're filled with... A, you're, you're reducing that adrenaline after the, a big game, and you fail to get up. For your next opponent and your next opponent hits you in the mouth and wins and Kyle Shanahan before this one and they kept repeating it on the Fox broadcast said that we're not treating this uh, like a trap game um, because if you don't you're gonna lose but I think to some extent it's really only natural um, to experience some kind of letdown after the stretch the Niners have played with the Packers and the Ravens and the Saints and that win against the Saints. And they're not going to be as hungry coming into this one. It's only natural, and I don't really fault uh, the coaching staff for that. That's just more of an individual thing. But on offense, you could definitely see that it looked a little more stagnant than, than we'd seen in previous weeks. They didn't hit the big plays. Uh, they weren't really going vertical down the field. There was a lot of dump-offs to Kittle. Uh, Kittle was really the only star in this one. The wide receivers dropped a couple of balls, didn't have a good game in general. And the run game got yards, um, but they failed to really hit the big play. I think they had over 100 yards rushing in aggregate, but uh, they failed to break out, I think. And the defense struggled. They faced injuries. Uh, D. Ford is out. Jaquaski Tart is still out and Richard Sherman out, which I think was a big one. 
um, because they really had nothing uh, to match up with Julio Jones. He had, uh, I believe, 14 receptions, 13 receptions, 134 yards in the game-winning touchdown. Oh, by the way, that last touchdown uh, got us the over, so that was interesting. Um, but the Niners really had no one to match up with him, and when you got toward the end of the game, you could really see the effect of that uh, in how they failed to get the last stop. And I think fully healthy, uh, this team probably wins this game, but you know, there's no room for hypotheticals. Uh, you, you, play who's on the, you play who's healthy, and you play uh, the other team that is on the field. So there's really nothing you can do about that. And it's, it's a tough loss for the Niners. It's their third loss, and all of them have been in the waning seconds. The game-winning field goal to Seattle, the game-winning field goal for Baltimore, and now the virtual walk-off touchdown um, for Atlanta. And I still don't think there's any reason to panic. Uh, with two games left in the season, the Niners are 11-3, and currently second in the division, uh, because they don't have the tiebreaker against the Seahawks right now. And they still control their own destiny. If you take a look at the playoff picture, they if they can beat if they can take care of the Rams and beat Seattle week 17, uh, they will hop back in front of Seattle on record, not on tiebreaker on record. And so I think there's no reason to fret severely. I mean, just take care of business the next couple of weeks. Now it's easier said than done with two divisional opponents. But I think the team isn't going to have as much trouble getting up for these last couple of games. Um, there was pretty obviously going to be a letdown here. We didn't think necessarily that that would end up in a loss, uh, per se. Um, but we did know that there was going to be a letdown. And now that that's over, I think they can um, regain some of that momentum heading into the playoffs. And even if you don't win the division, um, hopefully you can take care of the, whatever team comes out of the NFC East, um, which is a hot mess. So... That's the situation for the Niners. Now we look at the entire playoff picture. At the moment, Seattle and the Niners both clinched playoff spots, um, and they'll be fighting for that. Winner takes probably the first seed, loser takes the fifth seed in the wild card. Uh, the Saints have already clinched uh, the NFC South. Uh, they're going to be, we saw them last week uh, in New Orleans, and they'll be very dangerous come playoff time. Green Bay seems to have gotten their mojo back after getting rocked by the Niners, um, although they barely escaped uh, Chicago, or barely escaped playing Chicago. Um, Minnesota is still on their tail at 10-4 and 4 as well, and they're uh, in that wild card spot right now. Dallas and Philly are tied at the top of the NFC East in what is a mess of a division. Neither team is running away with it. Um, but Dallas looked really good against the Rams, so I think right now they would have to be the favorite, and the Eagles haven't looked good in a while. Meanwhile, in the AFC, New England uh, only maintains a one-game lead over Buffalo, and Buffalo will be playing New England in the coming weeks, so that could potentially be um, a really high-stakes matchup. And it's exciting to see Buffalo good at football again. That's such a, a good football city um, that when they're in it, it's a lot more fun for everyone. Baltimore continues to roll at 12-2. and um, they will probably lock up the first seed given how things are going. Houston leads the AFC South right now, led by Deshaun Watson. They got back on the winning track in a big divisional matchup against Tennessee. That was really exciting. Um, and Kansas City is sitting pretty at 10-4 and four at top of the AFC West. 
Pat Mahomes hasn't looked as amazing this year. Part of his shine has been uh, replaced by Lamar Jackson's. But nevertheless, they are still a title contender uh, at the moment. So my favorite in the AFC right now is probably Baltimore. Uh, they're, they're just the most in form right now. They've won 10 straight. Uh, their point differential is plus 215, which is ridiculous. Um, and first in the league by quite a bit. But you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, Buffalo, I-, I could totally see that team making a run at this thing. Just given their defense and how Josh Allen has performed. So you never know. Um, but those are, that's what I'm thinking right now. And finally, in a bit of sad news for Giants fans uh, around the country, Madison Bumgarner has been traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, given the money that's been thrown around uh, this summer, or sorry, this winter, in particular with uh, Garrett Cole, who got over $300 million, uh, I thought Bumgarner might get a little more than five years, $85 million. But nevertheless, uh, he congratulations to him. I mean, he's an ace. He's deserved this type of contract uh, for years. Uh, he's still riding off that deal from 2012 and now he'll get big money uh, in Arizona as a Giants fan I'm sad to see him stay within the division Um, he deserves uh, a good situation and the Giants aren't going to be title contenders uh, as it stands so I'm not really 100% surprised to see him leave but I would have liked to send him to the AL I mean I don't want to see him four or five times a year or even two three but now we will uh, now that he's in the red and one of their colors, red and white. Um, but for the Diamondbacks, it'll be interesting because they overachieved last year, netting 85 wins and now throwing Bumgarner into the mix. Um, and with the Dodgers situation a little bit fluid, I mean, we might see a, a race for the uh, NL West crown this year for the first time in a long time. Dodgers and Diamondbacks could be fun. But as a Giants fan, uh, he'll be a Giant forever. Three... Uh, Three championships, major part in all of them, major, uh, obviously the Game 7 performance in 2014 will forever uh, be legendary, throwing five innings in relief to close out a championship for the Giants, and we'll be sad to see him in another uniform, Um, but that's the nature of baseball, that's the nature of sports, Uh, and so we accept it, move on. Um, and I think this might be a, a signal to the rest of the league that the Giants aren't going to hold on to aging stars like they did in the past, and they're going to move forward a little bit. And that's a good thing in the long term, but right now it uh, just kind of sucks. Quick take. Uh, the NFL suspends Josh Gordon indefinitely for PED substance abuse violations, and we've heard this plenty of times before. 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, he was suspended uh, at some point. And he's, it's disappointing because he's shown talent this year. And he's played well for both the Patriots and the Seahawks. Made a big catch last week, uh, this Sunday. But at this point, uh, he's turning 29 next year. We don't really know what's going to happen to Josh Gordon, and it's going to be a sad tale. Might see a 30 for 30 on him in 20 years. A talent that made itself very evident 
um, but ultimately just substance abuse uh, did it to him, and that sucks. Probably needs to get some help, um, and we wish all the best for him. But that's just the way it, it that's just the way it boils down uh, in this league. Thanks much for listening to the Wong Takes. Check it out everywhere. Bit.ly slash the Wong Takes. The Wong Takes at gmail.com. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast as always. And I will see you next week.